Hi, and welcome to the Indie Music Podcast, the podcast for independent musicians and other audio professionals. We're your hosts. I'm Matt Denton, also known as Mojo of Ragged Birds Music. I'm a Bay Area mix engineer and recording artist. And Douglas Reynolds of Resonance Mastering, a mastering engineer in Bloomington, Illinois. Welcome to Indie Music Podcast, episode 248. What is your plug-in and gear end goal? Tonight, Matt and Doug get together and talk about having end goals for studio plugins and gear. They discuss really assessing what it is you need in context of where you see your studio in the future. Enjoy the show. Check, check. No audio for Matt? That's because I wasn't talking yet. I was switching my audio setup. <laughs> I was doing something earlier this morning and uh, moved and had to change my audio settings. Anyway. Happy Saturday. How are you? I'm good. You actually changed your audio settings. Well, I thought you never. <laughs> I had to change my input and output because I was using different uh, input and output in the house. I'm confused. It's okay. <laughs> I'm all good. It's all good. Um, Saturday, right? It's Saturday. It, it is Saturday. It's been a long, confusing week. Very short. And, and, uh, what's the, What's the opposite of confusing? <laughs> straightforward? Yeah, very, very <laughs> short and straightforward week for me. Oh, well, that's good. Good for you. I took a few days off. Oh, boy, I would like to take a few days off. You should, then. I, I plan to. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not for a couple of weeks, though. How's things? Things are okay. Just uh, a little out of it this morning, but uh, oh, overall, you got, a, you got I can't all, complain. You got all shot up. <laughs> I got all boosted. I got all boosted. <laughs> got a little little low end going on. <laughs> you got your low end boosted? That's <laughs> <laughs> when we were kids, Sounds didn't personal. we get our boosters there? Yeah, what I don't think they do that anymore. Yeah. In fact, I, I just got a tetanus booster and it went in my arm and ouch, man, that was sore for a week. Oh. Last time I'm actually I can't get tetanus. Due to an allergy, oh. you have to get something uh, called Hypotet, which is like a a diluted version. Huh. I've never heard of that. Yeah. I've only had one tetanus shot in my life, and I got deathly ill. Oh, that's no good. Yep. Yeah. I think those those are, those are allergies are rare, but they're they're not good when you have them. It's the only allergy I, I know of that I have. Um, when I uh, moved out to the Northwest for a while, lived in a place which was... Previously known by the indigenous uh, peoples there as the Valley of Death, and <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> and that's because in that in the valley, which happened to be the Willamette Valley, it uh, the air kind of just stagnates there because oh, okay. of being in the in the valley, and it was real high rate of like pollen count, pollen, and you know all the allergies mm. related to particles in the air and stuff like that. So interesting. So for when I moved out there, uh, first time in my life, I actually had like hay fever allergies. I, in fact, I was diagnosed with being allergic to my own histamine. Oh, that's not <laughs> It was like, oh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> and so I was on a daily regimen of Allegra for many years. And then when we moved away, that completely went, aw- went away. So it was just something specific to that area that I was uh, allergic to. Yeah. I don't have to take. That's a beautiful area, though, the Willamette Valley up there in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that's why uh, my family uh, originally moved to San Diego uh, from New York was because I had such allergies. And they said they thought that San Diego would be drier climate and better for that. And, of course, they just have different allergies there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of a segue. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's all. One thing you know, I'm not allergic to is buying yeah, new gear. <laughs> yeah. It's all what you're looking for, you know. <laughs> oh, so it was a very interesting talk we had last week about Black Friday and um, Cyber Monday. And I believe those, some of those sales are still going on, even though it's neither Friday nor Monday. Yeah. Um, and uh, we talked a little bit about... Cyber Monday is now Cyber Week. Right. Yeah. Or month. Month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and we, you, we talked about gear acquisition syndrome. And you wanted to call it uh, PASS. <laughs> plug-in acquisitions. So you have pass and gas. So that's yeah. <laughs> extra clever. Um, and uh, it's an interesting thought about the whole need to, or or not, maybe not need is the right word, the whole kind of impulse to um, bigger, better, faster, more. You know, when is it enough? When is when do you feel like you've achieved? Ah, I've 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 got everything that I need. I I. My audio sounds exactly the way I wanted. Does that even happen? Yeah. Well, like for plugins for me, it, I think I'm at that stage because I don't feel like in any of the work that I do that I'm looking to reach for something that I don't have. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. And I guess for me, if I find that I have a problem that I can't solve with the tools that I have, then I should be looking for a tool that can do that. And the more and more tools that you get, the the more and more specialized the needs become. And so something like RX yep. for me is a really specialized tool. And there's a lot about it that I, I don't know. I actually was messaging you earlier this week about how to use or what tool in RX do you use for for measuring overs and giving you an analysis of that. And I actually found it. It's in the window menu for some reason. And there's a, there's a waveform analyzer in there, which oh, okay. is what I was looking for. And it's really cool because that gives you like, you can basically drag and drop your file in there and it gives you the analysis in seconds yeah. of, which is really cool for me. I still have to render a file in order to do that. It doesn't really save me any time, but it provides a whole bunch more information than I currently had using the analysis tools that I was that I do use, which you know, which is Insight too for my uh, metering and analysis. And then I I use some terminal applications, and I run them from a terminal oh. and uh, I drag files into the terminal, and and it does analysis on there for clipping and things like that. Oh, those are the Apple tools. I have those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, AF clip and AF clip, right? I always have to. I have a, I have a, I have a notes to myself, and like I, I keep a lot of process documentation, um, Google Sheets, Google Docs, and uh, I have to remind myself of the what those are called and where they're located. Yeah, <laughs> what's that yeah, called just again? A, AF clip. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a I have a text document that I, I it's named Scratch, and I just add things to that, and it's just kind of a like an ever growing page of notes oh i see and snippets and things like that i used to use the apple stickies for that yeah yeah i wish they still had those but they still have that oh uh, i don't oh <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you asked me but i've only used um rx 
once or twice. I haven't had it that long. And um, I, it's it's very powerful and it's kind of complicated and it's it's interface. Even though I've been a I've been an Isotope user for a decade, and I still find uh, I, I found RX interface to be confusing and unintuitive. Uh, yeah, I only use it for specialized things, and and that's basically face correction mm-hmm. and for finding and removing artifacts. That's what I use it for. Most yeah. often, the time it's just for finding, and I take go back over to the DAW. And I'll use, I don't, uh, I like the spectral editor in my DAW better oh, okay. than I do the RX one. So I, I do that work over in my DAW because it's just, I don't know. Maybe I know it better or, or whatever. I, I trust it more. I, sometimes I feel like the results I get at RX sound poor. And especially like if you select and do like an automated thing and it goes through a whole process of applying different corrections and things like that, oh. I feel like I lo- lose control of it. And I would rather just do those things manually. Yeah. Well, Logic doesn't have a spectral editor, so I use RX for that. And I oh, okay. found what it, what it, I like that it does is you know, like you can find an artifact and then you can select the artifact and it uses AI to kind of tell where the artifact is in the waveform. Yeah. And then you can say, you know, show me a preview of what you're going to do. And it'll give you like three options you know, like the light, the heavy and the whatever. And you right. can kind of pick the one that sounds the best or like removes it the least uh, obtrusively. And then here, render that. That's kind of cool. And you can set thresholds yeah. and things. Um, but again, I'm not adept with it because I've only used it um, really on one project. And uh, the rest of the time I was just kind of trying to learn it. I see. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you can do it in RX, but uh, in, in my DAW, I can actually like apply, like take like a, like a sample of maybe like just anywhere between one to six milliseconds where like there might be like a, a click or right. some type of artifact. And I can apply compression just to that, that range of milliseconds. And I can uh, oh. bring down the level just in that range of milliseconds. I can apply fades in, you know, uh, crossfades or fade up and fade down. So I've got all this these controls that I can do in these very minute frames of time, and I like doing that. So I, I don't know if you can do that with RX. I'm not sure. Yeah. But uh, but I do like those tools. So, you know, because sometimes just yeah, adding yeah. a little bit of compression to um, uh, to just that set of a little bit of millisecond, you know, with no makeup gain, um, mm-hmm. takes care of that click transient to where it just sort of disappears, you know? And then if it's something recurring, you know, maybe it's something that's happening uh, either in rhythm, you know, with the song came from, a, you know, something repeating from uh, off of the snare drum or, or whatever, you can copy and paste that over and over and over right. again. If it's the same type of artifact, then you can apply, do it once and apply it in many places, which is cool too. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of a project I worked on uh, earlier this year that, I couldn't figure out where the click was coming from because usually the way I work with the the mix stems is that if I hear a click all and I can't figure out where it's coming from, I'll like repeat the section and then solo each track until I find the click. And almost always it's a bad edit where somebody did a, you know, they didn't cross fade and edit, right? So there's a, there's a clipped waveform and I can often correct that by splitting it there and doing a, a tiny fade on each side so that it's invisible to the ear. Right. But this time I couldn't figure it out. And it turned out that it was like the bass attack 
transient combining with something in uh, like the cymbal track or the or the drum track and only when they were in combination did it sound like a it sounded like an echo or a double hit or something because the transients were so close it was a, it was a very strange <laughs> it was a strange one and tricky to figure out um, where that was where that was the problem but that's that's kind of a situation where RX wouldn't really help that was more of a yeah transient lineup issue which was very strange yeah the other type of thing is like just audio noise that it actually originated in the recording yeah you know it's not part it didn't come in during mixing or anything it was actually captured during recording those are often pretty challenging you mean like um like headphone bleed like when a when a when a singer is recording and their headphones are too loud and they're listening to the track or do you yeah, mean like you know that's actually hum yeah hum because when you get into like the like hum and you've got kind of a broad spectrum mm -hmm. then it's not real focused that that's a hard thing to get rid of because you have uh, potentially remove desirable True. elements that are in the same frequency range True. you know so those are really challenging and uh i think i do try to use rx when i get to those i guess sometimes it's resulted in retracking you know but um we'll try to avoid that right yeah, because that that bogs the whole project down, and sometimes sometimes it's not even possible because you can't get the people back. But yeah, um, yeah, it was. It's interesting that you say that about the more tools you acquire, the the more specialized your need becomes for tools, and uh, I think that's really true. I mean, that point the 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 one plugin I was really excited about that I bought on sale, yeah, is a very specific. As a very, it's not like, because <laughs> I know, I know I don't need any new compressors. <laughs> I yeah. don't need any new vintage EQs. I don't need anything like that. But this particular, you know, kind of AI enhanced uh, transient problem solver was very specific need I had to fill. And uh, yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, how many different I, hammers do you need? You just need like yeah. a couple of good, you need a framing hammer, you need a regular hammer, maybe you need a, like a ball peen hammer. And then yeah. <laughs> you don't need, <laughs> uh, you don't need a fiberglass hammer with a ripped claw and then one with a, <laughs> you know what I mean? You get really specialized because you have everything else, right? That makes, yeah. that makes complete sense. Anyway. Yeah. That's the way that, that I really look at it. And so I came into this Black Friday with, with no needs yeah. and I didn't buy any plugins for work i did uh, buy one thing for play but, right uh, and yeah so that's kind of a good feeling really because it used to be well, you know man i need i need i need and and so you i think you get to a point where you do reach an end goal mm -hmm. and then it's a matter like me then really looking at individual problems and not waiting for black friday you know necessarily right. so you know i I need to fix this for this job now and I don't have a good solution for it, but there is a plugin that, or, or even, you know, or hardware, uh, that would meet this need. And in which case that would be something that I would be considering purchasing to do that with, you know, I, it, there's probably other options. Um, and it, you know, it might be something where, you know, I really don't want to buy that, but I've got a colleague who could probably do this for me and just hire someone rather than, spending a thousand dollars on a piece of hardware or whatever, or several hundred for a, a plugin to do it, maybe paying a, a colleague oh. for some time yeah, who already has too. that tool, you know, and, right. uh, you know, and look at it in that way. Cause you know, it's not, I don't have to do everything myself. 
That's true. We do often get in that mindset of having to do everything ourselves. And then there's, there's like the buying the tools, there's the ramp up of training, there's the, and it's, if it's specialized training, um, and how often are you going to use it? Is there an ROI or should you just outsource that? Like I need drum editing. Do I want to sit here and do drum editing or do I want to send that to somebody who, you know, you know, spread the love around, pay them to do the drum editing. And then I don't have to, and I save the work and the time and maybe they do yeah. it better. It'd probably be better. Yeah. <laughs> if that's what they do, you know? So. Right. Um, but then, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, we do end up talking about plugins a lot because we tend to like you and I, and, and probably people like us get to a point where our hardware is our hardware. And the only things that are the variables after a while become the software. But at some point I do wonder, I do, I do find myself looking and I, and I don't have a specific need for this because I am like you at a place where I'm solving problems. And when the problem is solved, I consider it done and move on. But you know, I do wonder sometimes, you know, should I upgrade my interface, for instance, how good is good and how much is, you know, how much should you spend on something that's X percent better, right? Yeah. That's, yeah, and that's I think when it there's gets There's a weird. lot of drivers for that, you know. Do I need to upgrade my interface? Well, what's the impetus for even thinking about that? Yeah, that's the question. Do you need more channels? I mean, I really need more channels. I've got to be able to uh, record 16 channels next week. You know, yeah, that's a specific need that you're you're solving a specific problem. But if you just feel like, well, you know, this is a certain level of quality product that I'm using now and it serves my needs now. But, you know, you I think there's a there's a point where maybe you're not solving a problem. You're solving a perceived problem where you're like, OK, well, this person seems to be farther along in their journey and they have this one. Maybe I need to upgrade to what they have because maybe what they have, they know something that I don't or they're at a level of quality that I need to get to. And there becomes a perceived problem or perceived need. How do, yeah. you, how do you think about that? I think it'd be really important to to not just jump in based on what someone else is doing in the pool, you know? Right. And, and actually research that thing, you know? And, you know, I was going to refer over to my my links Hilo mm-hmm. and I had made a decision that I was going to get rid of my old Focusrite interface. And some of that was because actually 90% of that was because I didn't have the analog outputs that I needed in order to do what I'm doing, which is uh, building out my, my outboard chain. Right. And, and so the Focusrite didn't serve that need for me. And the quality of the ADDA conversion I looked at many ADDAs and I looked at ADs and I looked at DAs and, you know, cause <laughs> you know, like if you go look at dangerous or something like that, those, those are sold separately. Yeah. So you know, yeah, it's still hard to believe for me, but you know, yeah, well, that's pretty common. You'll see that amongst the, the high end. And so the, each, each piece of rack gear is, is specialized for what it does. And, you know, and so, well, that wasn't in my budget mm-hmm. to buy those two pieces of hardware. You didn't have $5,000 lying around? Exactly. You know, (laughs) but, uh, I looked at the RME and it was really nice and I would have done it, but it didn't have the, the IO that I needed. And, and it was really hard to figure that out. I mean, I was on call with support and, and talking to my sales reps and stuff like that, trying to learn about it before jumping in, you know, and it ended up that the links was, the one because it it had all the IO that I needed. It had all the routing. It it was way more than I even imagined in functionality for 
for routing and saving scenes, which is like the coolest thing ever, you know? Right. Like I've got a podcast scene. And so, <laughs> you know, and we are does, a podcast scene. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in that I press the podcast scene recall and it updates all my routing for podcasting. Okay. With one button push. I have a mastering scene, which is completely different as far as my routing goes than podcasting. And, and so I just press the button and all my routing is updated automatically for, for mastering. Um, same thing with tracking, which is completely different than podcasting or, or the mastering routing needs. So I've got a tracking scene. So it's like super cool, useful, convenient, because really setting up routing sucks. And <laughs> hopefully you only have to do it once. And yeah. Well, yes, yeah, so maybe half a dozen times to get it straight, you know, but once you get it dialed in and be in the ability to be able to save that routing is, is it's super useful and nothing changes anymore. I, I, all I got to do is go in and hit the button and, and, and uh, it sets me up for that. I just have to remember to do that because <laughs> right. if I'm, <laughs> you know, if I'm trying to podcast, I'm on mastering. It's going to be different. <laughs> it, yeah. It's different and it's not good because I'm actually uh, have a, there's a, a routing loop there that it would exist in mastering that I don't have in podcast. And so I get feedback. Uh, and so, cause of the way that, uh, the microphone patching and stuff like that is introduced. That makes and sense. So, um, that I have to be really careful of, but yeah, just going to make sure that, uh, it's just, a, it's really important to make sure and turn off the phantom power, um, to the microphone. So the microphone's not engaged because oh, right, if you do right. make that mistake, <laughs> that helps keep uh, any undesirable things happening, uh, which is also a reason I always keep my, my monitor controller muted unless I'm, you know, unless I'm mastering or sometimes tracking. Um, oh, I see. Cause you, you know, don't want, you don't want your mains playing while you're recording. Audio. Yeah. That, well, you don't want any accidental feedback that getting too. thrown out, you know, any, just any accidents from happening. Yeah. And which is really nice thing about the monitor controller. So having, which is another piece of gear that, you know, I, at the time I had multiple monitors and I got it for that. But the other features that uh, have continued to be useful to me now that I'm down to just one set of mains and, you know, maybe I will add another set of monitors at some point. I haven't decided, but, uh, well, I guess I, I, I didn't the, realize you were still using the monitor controller, even though you only have the one set of mains now. Yeah. And that's because it's a, it's a calibrated stepped volume control. Hmm. And, and then I do have the, I have the mono and mute and dim features on it. Cause a lot of times when I'm rendering, I really don't want to listen to it anymore, you know, so I can, I can mute it. <laughs> Cause you've already listened to it like 50 times. Yeah. You know, <laughs> mute it or dim it. And Dem's really nice. What it cuts it, it cuts the level by fifty percent or whatever, and so it's convenient. Or you're doing something, and someone walks in the in the room or whatever, you can turn the volume down. Well, that's instructive now, yeah. Because most people, because we're talking about buying gear to solve problems, and most people who would think to buy a monitor controller uh, generally would have it to switch between, say, their NS10s and their KRKs or their Focals or you know what I mean, their their Grok yeah. boxes and their mains and their other mains and their and it probably wouldn't occur to most people uh, to buy a monitor controller for their single set of monitors um, for the extra features that you're talking about, which you can yeah. just do at the touch of a button. Dim, yeah, and well, probably the most control. important thing is this, the stepped volume control. Yeah. Because I have it calibrated 
at 85 dB. Right. Which is the optimal, but yeah, you, you want it to sound good. At, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and that's at, uh, that's at a certain SPL. step level mm -hmm. that I can just recall. I know, I know where that is. And yeah. which is harder to do if you don't have a stepped control or you don't have anything but the volume controls on your, on your interface or something like that, which my focus, right? The old one, it had a volume control on it that was not stepped. So it was just a, a regular potentiometer. Right. And, and that was like, I had to have, a, I had a little piece of tape and I had a little <laughs> pencil line, you yep. know, to uh, try and get it approximate, you know, and it, it was close, but not necessarily perfect. Well, I know, I know it's going to be exactly the same every time. Yeah. And that's even that's easier than say using a SPL meter on your phone, which I do sometimes. Oh, I do that still too. I have actually have an iPad that I keep in here with an SPL meter running on it just to make sure everything's remaining in calibration and catch anything. But and there's also differences in um, in audio levels of the material itself to oh, compensate for. Yeah, so I would recommend having some sort of level control like that that gives you some features for you know especially like mono. So that's so super useful. Oh yeah. Just at a quick push of a button, you know, I can I can without turning my head or anything, I can just go mono and back to stereo and toggle back and forth and and listen to that, which I think is an important thing to do. And yeah, that's pretty smart. Now you've got me thinking about buying a monitor controller. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad I missed all the sales. And it's a <laughs> rabbit hole of things. Oh, oh, I'm sure. And and I'll tell you, you probably need a lot less than what you'd like to have, which is what I found. Mm. Here, I'll go ahead and mention, I've got the Heritage Audio Baby Ram is what I use. Yep. It's not super expensive. They've got like at least three different levels of monitor controllers, and this is their their least expensive model. It was about 150 was it? Yeah, right, 165 or okay. something like that. And, and it, it's super nice. I love it. I can run two sources into it and have two sets of monitors going out of it. And, and right now I'm only using one source and, and one monitor out, but uh, you know, I've got the room. So if you, if you do want to run a couple sets of monitors and be able to control them all in one spot, this is a great option. I, I really like this unit. I definitely recommend it. Cool. But uh, there's tons of them out there and they go up into the thousands and of dollars, mm. of course, you know, so, and it's just a matter of trying to figure out what you need. Yeah. And for, for me, the need's really simple. I just having the mono and the dim and, and mute. Dim and mute, really mostly what I, uh, I use mute for when I'm done with a session and I'm walking away, Yeah. I mute. I turn my amp off and I mute. Um, that way I don't have any pop coming back on when I turn my amplifier on. And, uh, you know, then I enable the speakers after everything is turned up. That's and, smart. you know, so stuff like that. So, those are things that, you know, maybe, maybe you haven't thought of before that I've discovered as being useful. And they're just small things that help me. A lot of it is just help me protect. And then it's convenient to, I really like that dim feature. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you've gone through and you've worked with material over and over and over again, and you're rendering. All I need to know at that point is that I do have audio rendering. So I can see my meteors. I can hear it, mm -hmm. reduce volume and. That's usually when I'm taking my my hearing break, you know. Yeah, and, uh, which, uh, which is also important. So it sounds like what a good idea would be is instead of like jumping at sales and jumping at what other people are doing and jumping at what you think is going on, is to step back and assess what would make my workflow better. What would what would what are some things that I could do 
in my workflow or what do I, what problems do I have to solve or what would just make things easier? Um, and then, and then seek out solutions for those things rather than just jumping at sales and being reactive to, to things that you see that, Oh, I could use that. Oh, I could use that. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I think that's a perfect summary. There you have it. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> and almost on time. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for pulling all of that together. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> After last week's ramble, I thought, you know, <laughs> let's try to, let's try to rein this one in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm like, I, we, we get off that. I'm like, Matt, we got to cut this stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> As we ramble on. As we ramble on. Anyway. So, yeah. So that was, uh, that was good talk. It was. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. Please let us know in comments or hit us up on social if you've got any questions about any of that that we're talking about, if we can be of any assistance and uh, share our experience. We're certainly always willing to do so. Absolutely. Or just check in and say, hey, and, and uh, you know, hang out online. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for liking. And uh, keep on keeping on. Right on. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Indie Music Podcast. Please like and subscribe, share with your friends, or just leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you've heard. Find our social links and episode guide at IndieMusicCast.com. Until next time, keep creating. <laughs>